Imagine, imagine if you had the opportunity to ask Jesus one question. Imagine if you had the opportunity to ask Jesus face-to-face one question and you would be guaranteed to get an answer. Now, you could only ask one. What would you ask? Now, you'd have to choose carefully. There's all kinds of questions that roll through our mind as Christians, or if you're familiar with the Bible, we could ask questions like, did Adam and Eve have a belly button? You probably don't want to make that your question. What are the Nephilim and where did they come from? You probably don't want to make that your question. What about the dinosaurs? How did the ark hold the animals? Where's the Ark of the Covenant? What about that creepy witch of Endor? All of those things are, in, are interesting, but those probably aren't the questions that you want to ask. You probably have a list of personal questions that you could ask. Questions like, why did my parents love me like they should? Why did I get cancer? Why do good friends seem to go away from me? Why do my feelings go up and down like a roller coaster? Why has it been so long since I felt good? Why is life so hard? And you might not want to ask those questions either. If it were me, I would ask this question. I would look at Jesus and say, if there's one thing, in your opinion, I need to know, what is it? If there's one thing, in your opinion, I need to know, what is it? I want Kim to tell me what I need to know. I want him to tell me what I need to hear. I want Jesus to tell me what that one thing is I need to know. And I assume that if you're a Christian here, you would want that too. We all have the opportunity this morning to be able to look at Jesus across the table, as it were, as we look in the Bibles on our laps and ask Jesus this question. What is the one thing? What is the one thing you would want me to know? What is the one thing Sovereign Grace Church, Jesus, wants us to know? What is the one thing that he wants us to hear as we push out the noise? What is the one thing that he wants us to know as we mute the voices? What is the one thing he wants us to see as he directs our gaze? What is the one thing he wants us to know as we look to go the right direction as a church? What is that one thing? And here's the one thing. The one thing is to love. We don't have to wonder. Someone else asked a question. That same question in a different form They said, what is the one thing? What is the one thing that, in his opinion, he needed to know? And we're going to see what that answer is. I'll give you a hint. It's to love. The one thing for our church, from the mouth of Jesus, is to love God and love others. I'll show you where I got that from. In Matthew chapter 22, I'm going to begin reading in verse 34 and go all the way down to verse 40. I'll read from the English Standard Version. God's Word says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend 
all the law and the prophets. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be attentive this morning to your word. As we ask, what is, in your opinion, the most important thing for us to know? I pray we would be attentive to your answer. I'm grateful we don't have to wonder what that is, either for ourselves individually or for us as a church. I pray that we would listen. I pray, Lord, that you would preach to us from your word as I endeavor to communicate your thoughts after you. I pray, Lord, that you would grab our attention, Lord, and help us to look in the same direction at that one thing, that one thing, in your opinion, that is most important. And it's in your name, the one God, and Son, Jesus Christ, in his name we pray, amen. What is the one thing? There's two points this morning, the great commandment, and the, and the second one is like the great commandment. The great commandment and like the great commandment. I said that someone asked the same question of Jesus that I asked, what, in your opinion, is the most important thing for us to know? Now, he asked it in a form that was looking to test Jesus. It was not a question asked in good faith. They were trying to test the Sadducees and the Pharisees, two different sects of Jewish leaders, were trying to test Jesus and trying to make him stumble in front of people. And yet, sometimes good answers come from questions asked in bad faith. And here we have this question in verse 36. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Meaning, teacher, of the 614 different commandments in the Old Testament, which one is most important? Which one is most vital? Which one is the one you think we should know in your opinion? And Jesus answered, you shall love the Lord your God, verse 37, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. What Jesus does is he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6 from what's called the Shema. Shema means to hear. Now, every faithful Jew in that audience at that time knew exactly where Jesus was quoting from because Jesus, Jesus is quoting something they said every day, twice a day, every day. Every day, the people would rise up in the morning, and before they would go to bed, they would say this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, your, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So Jesus, when asked, what is the most important thing for me to know in your opinion? He says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And so every day, the Jews would rise up and say, there is one God that wasn't a, a statement of unity. It was a statement of exclusivity. And so they were saying, there is no other God besides the one God, and my, my duty is to love this God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. That is my duty. That is what I am called to do. Now, before we move on past that command, let's think about it and take stock. We're commanded by Jesus to love God with all of our hearts, souls, and minds. Now, how much is that? That's a lot. 
That doesn't mean that people are divided into different parts. But what it means is that we're to love God with the entirety of our lives. We're to love God supremely over all things. We're to love God primarily over all people. We're to love God foremost against every other temptation. We're to love God wholeheartedly and principally. And let's be honest, there is not one of us in this room who has really loved God like that. Who in this room has loved God with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all, our mi- all of our minds on a constant, regular basis in every moment with every fiber of our being, full past the brim, without flagging or failing? Has anyone ever loved God like that? It seems that Jesus is commanding the impossible. And it only gets harder. That's the great commandment. Here's one that's like the great commandment. Here's the other one, like the great commandment. Verse 39. And the second is like it. Now look up. Now if you hadn't known what was coming next, you would never guess what came next. Because think about it this way. What in the world is like loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind? What in the world is like that? What kind of love, what kind of action, what kind of interaction with anything else in all creation is like that kind of love? I wouldn't know what would come next. If I were listening to Jesus and he says, and the second one is like it, I would think, how could there be something else that is similar to the love I am to give the one God? How is there to be something else than the love that I am to give to the one and only God? There can't be anything like it. And Jesus says, here comes something that's like it. Verse 39, and the second, being the second commandment, is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is jarring. Jesus connects love of God, heart, soul, mind. Love of God, heart, soul, mind, your whole being, and your neighbor as yourself. You see the standard that's being set here. Make sure we understand. See, it's not hard to understand what's being said. We're called to love give attention to, adore, give everything we can to the God, the one and only God, with all our heart, soul, and mind, and love our neighbors as ourselves. Everybody in the room here understands how to do that. Everybody understands, rather, what that is calling us to do. It's not hard to understand. It's hard to do. All of us in this room are experts in loving and caring for ourselves. I know I am. I know I am. We all crave things for ourselves, like security and hope, happiness and protection. We crave stability and satisfaction. We crave understanding and compassion and love and healing. We crave those things for ourselves. And Jesus is saying, those things that you crave for yourself, crave for others. Now, that's tough. That's tough. You want to work and crave security for yourself? Work and crave for others to have that same security. Do you want hope? Hope that others would have that hope. Do you want happiness? And are you willing to work and sacrifice for happiness? Are you willing to work and sacrifice for happiness for other people? Do you want protection for yourself? Will you do anything you can to protect yourself? What about other people? Will you protect other people the way you protect yourself? Do you want stability? Do you want to work hard to keep stability? 
Do you want to work? God, Jesus says, will you work that hard for other people as well? What about satisfaction or understanding or compassion or healing or love? All of those things that we crave, all of those things that we want for ourselves. Jesus says, not only are you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, you're to love your neighbor like you love yourself. How many of us have done that? I know I haven't. I thought about the sheer number of times in an hour that I think about myself and tend to my needs, and it is staggering. When I'm sitting down, I know when I need to get a drink, and I do it. I love myself enough to do that. I'm aware when I'm bored. I'm aware when I need to stretch my legs. I'm aware when I'm hungry. I'm aware when I'm thirsty. I'm aware when I'm tired. I'm aware when I'm a little bit upset with somebody because they did something against me. I'm aware about, of, of all those things, and I care about all those things because I love myself. And Jesus is saying, well, not only are you called to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, you're called to extend the love that you have for yourself to other people. Let's get our bearings again. Let's remember. We asked Jesus a question. This, this question, we put it in our own words. We modernize it and ask this question. Jesus, what is, in your opinion, the most important thing for us to hear? What is, in your opinion, the one thing for us to know? What is that thing, both for us each individually and as a church? And the answer coming from Jesus is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. These things seem impossible. You know why? They are. Now, we're faced with one of two things to do here. Some people can say, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to shrink these commands down to a way in which I will define what love is for God. I will define what love is for other people. And I'm going to do them. I'm going to obey the best I can in every way I can and therefore justify myself before God. That's one way to handle things. The other way to say, it's impossible. There's nothing I can do. I'll just do my own thing. And depending on who you are and how you are wired, you're tempted to go one or two ways. I'll try my hardest and ultimately fail, or I'm not even going to try. It's not even worth it. So which way are we, are we to go? And Jesus even ratchets up the pressure, as it were, even more in verse 40. If we didn't already feel that, man, this is tough, the one thing he wants me to know, the one thing he wants for us to hear as a church, that one thing is for us to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our minds, and with all our souls. What he wants us to understand is also to love our neighbor as ourselves. Also, he says this in verse 40, 40, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets, the whole Old Testament. And If he were talking at the time the New Testament had been canonized, he would say, upon all the scriptures. On these two commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself, on these two, the whole testimony of scripture hangs. And on these two, the whole testimony 
of our church rises or falls. So why did Jesus ask us to do or know the impossible? Why? None of us have loved God as we ought to. None of us has loved others as we ought to. These commands are such that no one can obey them well enough. But there is a shard of hope shining in verse 37. It's a word that we might normally just skip over, but it's a word that we should pay attention to here in verse 37. And he said to him, here's the answer, you shall love the Lord your God. See, before he gets on to all your heart and your soul and your mind, he says, you shall love the Lord your God. You shall love the Lord your God. How does God, how does the Lord your, become your God? If we don't ask that question, what we assume is the way he becomes our God is if we love him well enough and love our neighbors well enough, and that's not ever going to happen. God does not become our God when we love him with all of our heart, soul, and, and mind. Neither does he become our God when we love him as we love our neighbors as ourselves. He becomes our God when we trust his son. He becomes our God by a gift of grace. We can call him our God. You can say your God because you know his son. If you do, if you're a Christian, you can say strongly and with conviction, I can love, I, I, you shall love the Lord your God. Your God is pictured here. He is your God, not because you loved well, either him or other people, but he's your God because our God is gracious and our God is kind. And our God has sent Jesus. That's what we saw way back at the beginning of Matthew chapter 1. We read this at Christmas time, but it applies now. An angel said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means rescue, or he will save. And so how does God become our God? Through Jesus the one who saves his people from their sins. God is not asking us to do something we cannot do to earn his favor that we could never have. He is telling us as a result of who we have in who we know in Christ, as, the, as a result of that, we now are free to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and we're free to love our neighbors as ourselves. Now, what's staggering about this is not how hard this is for us. It's impossible. But what's staggering to me is that Jesus did exactly this. The great commandment was not something that he prescribed for us and us alone. No, Jesus, at every moment and in every way, he loved God the Father with all of his heart, all of his mind, all of his soul, in every moment of every day, in every situation that Jesus, our Lord, ever faced anything, he constantly, always, only acted out of love to his Father with every fiber of his being. And he also loved his neighbors 
as himself. Actually, he loved his neighbors better than himself. Jesus always loved his neighbors better than himself. You see, this commandment for us is one that we could not possibly obey perfectly, but Jesus has. And you know why that matters? Because Jesus dies and died and lived again. That means anybody who trusts in him can say, Jesus, you be my substitute. Not only do I have sins to, for, for, to be forgiven of, I also can't obey well enough. I need you to obey for me. And Jesus says, that's fine because I have always loved my Father with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my mind. And that obedience is reckoned to you. I've always loved my neighbors better than myself, myself, and that obedience is reckoned to you. And as we see that all-surpassing of God's love, all-surpassing love from God in Christ, It frees us up to be able to love him authentically, even though it will not be perfect. Frees us up to be able to love others authentically, even though it won't be exactly the way we want. But Jesus did. Think about Jesus and what he did. He loved us better than he loved himself. He gave up his own security so that we might enjoy security forever. He faced hopelessness the hopelessness of God's wrath so that we might be able to have hope that cannot and does not fail. He thrust his happiness aside for our good so that we might have joy and enduring delight. He made himself vulnerable so that we might be protected both now and forevermore. Jesus made his life unstable so that we might be able to stand on the rock that cannot be shaken. Jesus set his own satisfaction to the side and loved us enough to give us eternal peace and satisfaction today. Jesus allowed himself to be misunderstood so that we might know and understand enduring love. Jesus was scorned and treated worse than an animal so that we might enjoy compassion from God. Jesus was cursed so that we might be healed. Jesus was hated so that we might be loved. And none of us, none of us will love others like that, but Jesus did. And so what's the one thing for us? Jesus looks at us in the eyes from this passage and he says, we ask, what's the one thing, Jesus, for us to understand? What's the one thing you want us to know? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and your neighbors as yourself. One more question for us to understand we haven't yet answered is this what makes these two commands alike what makes them alike two ways first the love for God and the love for others is focused outward from ourselves when we love God with our heart soul and mind and our neighbors as ourselves we spend time and energy on others beside ourselves. And that is not our natural tendency. That is not our natural orientation. We naturally think of and love ourselves. None of us need to be commanded to love ourselves. We're good. We got that down. We need to be reminded to love God and others. That's one way these two commands are alike. The other way is the very nature of God's love. The very nature of God's love is self-giving. God's love toward us is the epitome 
of self-giving. He does not love us because we're worth it. He doesn't love us because we've obeyed. He doesn't love us because we love him. He loves us because he loves us. God is, in fact, John tells us, love. That means God is always giving of himself for the good of other people. The reason God can command us to love our God with our heart, soul, and mind is because it makes absolute, total sense. That's exactly what he deserves. And because it's, we've received such love from God, we can't bask in it alone. We can't hoard it. We must share it. We must give it away. And the, other re- the, the reason they're connected is a love of God is always evidenced by a love for others. You cannot say, I love God, I do not love others. That, doesn't, that cannot be. That's, what, that's right from the mouth of Jesus here. What's the one thing, Jesus, the one thing that we need to understand in your opinion? It's this. Here's the one thing. Love God, love others. Love God, love others. Wherever God is leading and guiding us, and wherever we look forward to as a church, our foundation must be this, a love for God and a love for other people. It's easy to be preoccupied with a great many things, but may we be preoccupied with loving God and loving others. It's easy to have the wrong preoccupations and end up going the wrong direction. We can try to be relevant and forget about love and lose our way. Relevance is not the same thing as loving God and loving others. We can be preoccupied by being, with, by, with being hip and end up going the wrong direction. Hipness is no substitute for loving God and others. We can even be preoccupied with doctrinal precision and lose our way. Doctrinal precision is a, precision is a waste of time if we are not marked by a love for God and other people. Paul puts it like this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, But have not love, I gain nothing. What's the one thing, Jesus, what's the one thing in your opinion we need to know? Love God, love others. Look at the testimony of your life. Does your love for God, is it evidenced in a love for other people? That's the acid test for Christianity. That's that's the test. That's the test. It's important for us to believe the right thing. Absolutely. It's important for us to believe everything the scriptures say. But at the same time, it's important that we hold those convictions with and in love. We have received such an all-surpassing, eternal love from God in Christ 
So loving him in return is no chore. It isn't hard for us to love this God because this God has seen us in our sin and rebellion, in our debt, and we were dead in trespasses and sins. He has seen us there, and he has seen fit because he loves us to send his son to live and die and rise again. And the death of his son, he didn't die to make us lovable. He already loved us. He died to make us acceptable, to make us righteous. So what's our one thing, Sovereign Grace Church? What's our one thing? Our one organizing principle is not that we all live in the East Valley of Phoenix. Our one organizing principle is not our socioeconomic standards. Our one organizing principle is not our political persuasions. Our one organizing principle is not our education or our coolness. Our one organizing principle is not even first our doctrinal precision. It must be that we love God with our heart, soul, and mind, and our neighbors, whoever they may be, as ourselves. And that call is dangerous. It's risky. It's risky. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. But it's what Jesus says. What's the one thing? You see, the reason we can love other people is not because they're worth it or because they'll always respond in a way that's a blessing to us, but because God loves us. And we're free to give that love away. We're free to be able to say, listen, my identity comes not from what you think of me, but my identity comes from the Lord above. You know, if you're a Christian, there is nothing you can do for God to go, uh, I'm done. I'm done with you. No, his love is forever and it's enduring. Think of the many sins we've, 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 we've done, we've committed. And yet we can come back to God knowing that there is forgiveness. And he's not going to say, listen, this is kind of an unsafe relationship for me. I need you to have some space for me. He doesn't do that. He welcomes us every time. So we owe that love to other people. Jesus looks at us in the face. We ask the question, what's the one thing? The one thing, in your opinion, that we should know is that we should love God and love others. And we owe this love to other people. We owe this love that initiates and isn't offended when people don't respond the way we think they should. We owe this love to other people. We've received this love from God, so we owe this love to other people, even if they've sinned against us in the past. We owe this love to other people, an active kind of love, a love that looks to encourage and bless and build up, and it doesn't sit around judging people for what they do or don't do. We owe a kind of love like we've received to other people that's not loaded down with expectations. We owe a love that picks other people up when they fall. We owe a love to others that sends help before asked. We owe a love to others that always welcomes new people in and cherishes old friends. We owe a love to people that shows itself to be friendly even when we don't expect others to be friendly back to us. We owe a love to other people that considers the needs of others before we consider our own needs. We owe a love to other people that doesn't ask, how do I fit? 
Where do people like me? Instead, it says, how can I make them fit? How can I make sure people get to know them? We owe a love to other people that expects to be taken advantage of. We owe a love to others that overlooks sin without a word. We owe a love to others that is hopeful and not pessimistic. We owe a love to others that speaks the truth in love, really in love. We owe a love to others that welcomes the strange, the awkward, the weak, the weird, and the uncool. We owe that love to others because that's the love that we've received. That's how God loves us. And so wherever we're called to go, whatever we're called to be as a church, may it be this that marks us. They love God. And they love everybody else too. They love God. And they love everybody else too. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask for your help, Lord, for all of us. Lord, we're all freshly aware of all the different ways that we fall short, but we're all the more grateful that we have a Savior we can come to. We're grateful, Lord, that even though we cannot love you the way that you deserve, we know that Jesus has loved you in the way only he could. And he says, I loved my Father for them. And so now, Lord, we know that though we might not be able to love you with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our, of our soul, we can know that Jesus has for us. He was our substitute. And so, Lord, you are not hard to love. You have given us every good thing. You have promised that we will be safe eternally. You have promised to work all things out for our good. You are not hard to love, but we have to confess there are times our neighbors are. I pray that you would help us. Help us to be more aware, Lord. Help me to be more aware of your love for me than my disappointments in anyone else. I pray that would be what, one of the things that marks us. Wherever we're called to go, whatever we're called to be, help us to be a people that love. Love first and ask questions later. Love first challenge later. I pray, Lord, that we would be preoccupied with all that you have done for us and the fact that you love us and I pray that that would overflow and multiply and spill out to everybody we come in contact with, to our neighbors, all the people in our lives. Jesus, we need your help for this. Thank you for the answer to our question. Pray, Lord, pray that you would help us to be marked by your love. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.